It is an exciting time, and I thought this morning I might talk about the preacher. You're getting a new preacher, so let's talk about the preacher. And the best way to talk about it is to talk about it from the Word of God. And so this morning we're going to see what a preacher really ought to be and how he ought to conduct himself, and it's going to be about a pretty good preacher. The Apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest Christian, the greatest missionary evangelist the world has ever known. And so if you'll join me in Acts chapter 17, and I hope you have a Bible or an iPhone or iPad or ever how you want to follow along, because it's going to be incumbent upon you at a couple of different places to really look down and say, what? What is he talking about? And see the words as well as hear what I have to say because I pray it will be a blessing to you. Acts chapter 17 beginning in verse 1. Now when they, and that's Paul and Silas, this is a carryover from chapter 16. When they had passed through Amphipolis and uh, Polyana, they came to Thessalonica, which, uh, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christos, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy. The word there is the word zealos. It's where we get the word zealous. It means active. It, it, here, it, it, envy, jealousy is the same type thing. It's an emotion that comes out of covering your own self and trying to find fault in others. Believe not, and move with envy, with indignation, took unto themselves certain lewd fellows of a baser sort, and gathered a company, and sent all the city on an uproar. The word there is the word tumult, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them, that's Paul and Silas, out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These uh, that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason had received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason, literally when Jason gets bailed out, Jason had to post bond what he's saying. I know it doesn't look like it, but take it from me. He had to post bond. He had to post bond, get out, and the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word, and the word there received means to sift. It's like you would sift flour. It's to, to go over it and over it, to get the, the fineness out of it, to sift the word with all readiness, eagerness of mind, 
and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. In other words, they searched the scriptures to see if what he was saying was true. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks. These are Hellenistic Jews, and of men, not a few. Mm, mm, mm. The preacher, the apostle Paul. I want us to see this morning several things about him, and I'm going to follow a little outline that I have for my benefit. And first of all, I want you to notice his motive, his motive. In verse 1, we see that he passed through Amphipolis and to Apollonia and then to Thessalonica. Now, when you start off, uh, you find that they walked 33 miles from Philippi to Amphipolis, 33 miles. But he did not preach. When he got to town, he's walked through town. They go from Amphipolis to 30 miles again to Apollonia. And again, he did not preach, just walked right through town. They walk another 37 miles and come to the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia, which is Thessalonica. And there he preaches. In fact, the Bible says he preached for three Sabbath days. Now, if you figure in the whole total account here of them walking uh, 30 miles a, a clip and then three Sabbaths, this is probably a month, uh, at least a month that, that he's involved in this, uh, going from place to place. And he stops here in this particular place. Why? Well, first of all, Thessalonica was a hub of commerce. It was a, a hub of of entertainment. It, it was a major city of sorts in that day, but it had a synagogue. It, the, it, the indication is the other places did not have a synagogue. And so what he's wanting to do is to go to the seat of religion. He wants to go in and there start with where they are. A good preacher always starts with where you are. Start where you are in order to take you where God wants to take you. If you at a different starting place than where you are, most folks say, well, he lost me. I don't know what he's talking about. He's lost me. So where's a good place to start with everybody here this morning? You're a sinner. Whoa, Brother Owens, we're glad you're the interim and getting out of here. Listen. Do you know there are preachers today that cannot say that from the pulpit of their churches? They're afraid of the deacons, afraid of the turf shepherds, afraid of somebody that's going to get them in trouble, and they can't say you're a sinner. Guess what? I am too. Can a preacher get an amen on I am too? We're all sinners. We're all sinners. None of us are perfect except if we're redeemed and in the eyes of God. And that's because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, makes us perfect, makes us perfect. But listen, we're still down here below. Somebody said to be there above with those that we love, that will be glory. But to walk here below with those that we know, brother, that's a whole nother story. And our sanctification just hasn't been completed yet. And so Paul here goes to the place to where he can start with where they are. He goes to the center. He goes to the important place. Doesn't mean the other places are not as important. It just means he wanted to start where he could get the most traction 
And to some degree, this is the same thing that we do today as Southern Baptists. We're going to the major urban areas to try to nail that down and then from there spread to some of the other places. It doesn't mean the other places are not important, but where there's a mass of humanity, it stands to reason that you ought to be able to do the most work. And so his motive is to go to the place where he knows he can deal with the intricacies of the religion of the day, and that he can preach Jesus Christ. That's his motive. But I want you to notice his manner. Verse 2 says, And Paul, as his manner was. You see, upon entering the city, he goes to the synagogue. He attends the synagogue. Now, this is a magnificent portrayal of the habits of this man. And him going to the synagogue, yeah, he had a mission, but it's more than that. If you read about the Apostle Paul, you'll find out it was more about who he was than what he did. Now, what he did came out of who he was, but as was his manner. Now, he's going there for a mission, but the Bible indicates it was his manner to go to the synagogue. It was his manner to go, as we would say today, to go to church. Same thing is said of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says, as his custom was, he went to church. I'm glad you're here today at church. I I meet some folks that say, well, I'm a member of the great invisible universal church. What? That's not in scripture. The church is a local assembly. Now, you can be a part of the body of Christ, yes, but don't confuse the body of Christ with the church. This is the church. You ought to be in church. If you're a Christian, you ought to come to church. I know I'm raising my voice, but this really bugs me when people say, well, I'll receive Jesus, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church. You cannot do that because the Bible says Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You can't love what he loved and you can't not love what he loves and feel like you're the same that you should be. The church, if you read the Bible, you'll find out it was the center of activity for the early Christians. They went to church a lot. Amen. I grew up in a small town, and I know it's a different time, but I grew up in a small town, and church was the center of that town. Now, we had a Methodist church and a Presbyterian church and a Baptist church. It was a small town. That was it. But twice a year, we all met as one church and and had a Thanksgiving service or a Christmas service. They'd alternate different churches and all. And I know there's a little bit difference in some of our extraneous parts of our belief, but the basis is Jesus Christ. Amen. And and quite honestly, the Methodist pastor, uh, he didn't know it, but he's Baptist. And Presbyterian pastor, he didn't know it, but he's Baptist. They all preached the same message. They had to couch it a little different because of what some of the folks in that small community thought their denomination was about. Most of them didn't know. But we all agreed upon who Jesus was. And we all agreed by salvation through faith, by, by the grace of God. And so it was, it was important. I know times have changed, but look where we are today. Today, there's folks almost gripe about coming to church. They don't want to come to church. And I guess I understand it. I've been to some of those churches, and I understand it. It's like a little boy at 
was visiting his granddaddy, and his granddaddy took him to the circus on Saturday. And then Sunday morning, they got up and went to church. And on the way to lunch, he looked at his grandmother, and he said, if you've ever been to the circus, you'll never go back to this. There's no life. There's no excitement. There's no amusement. There's no fun. There's no exhilaration. The church ought to be the happiest place we go every week. Now, folks, listen to me. I understand there are other organizations and clubs. I understand there are other activities that you should be involved in and are involved in in your community. And they deserve your help. They deserve your support. But they are not the church. The church ought to be up here while everything else is down here. Because you can be a good member of some of these other clubs and organizations and still go straight to hell. It's the church of Jesus Christ is the one that talks about eternity. It's the church of Jesus Christ that helps you not only with the the sweet by and by, but the nasty now and now. It's the church that you come to be recharged. It's the church you come to be encouraged. It's the church where you come to encourage others and where you come to worship and praise the one who loves you. The church is important. Don't relegate it to some other activity. Build your life around it. And I guarantee you God will bless you because of it. The church deserves our greatest dedication. And the church deserves our greatest support because of what it represents. The body of Jesus Christ. His motive, he went to the place where he could get traction with the message of Christ. His manner, his manner was he went in and uh, to, the, to the very center of the religion of the day. And the Bible says, and he reasoned with them. He reasoned with them. That, that's his message. His manner was to go, but when he got there, he reasoned with them, and he reasoned with them, notice what the Bible says, out of the scriptures. The word reason there is a word dialectito it means to select to distinguish and to then to legitimize to select to distinguish to legitimize it it means a process by which you come to a resolve you become to an understanding of your mind when Paul went there he started with where they were But out of the scriptures, he carried them from what they knew. He he pointed out who Christ was. He pointed out the prophecies concerning Christ. He pointed out the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He pointed out and drew from what they knew to overlap with what he wanted to teach them concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He reasoned with them. He reasoned with them about what? He reasoned with them about the gospel. He started with what they knew and showed respect for the rabbinical teachings. But this is one of the finest definitions of preaching I know. For you see, a preacher standing with an open Bible with a word from God is a mighty tower, a rock-strong fortress. But a preacher who comes up with his own message out of his own mind is no more than a tower of jello. 
It's something when a man gets alone with God and out of God's word speaks a word from God to the people of God. It's something else when I sit around and come up with something cute in order to tickle your fancies and make you feel happy and feel better about your lostness. God delivers from preachers like that. You know, it stand up and say, this is my Bible, and then never refer to it in a message. The great preachers take the Word of God and reason out of it. Take the Word of God and show you where, from where you are to where God wants you to go. That's what an effective preacher is. His motive, his manner, his message, his message is one. He doesn't invent himself. It's a word that he gets from the, the Word of God and from God as he speaks to him. Now, this doesn't mean that, that we are to be mean or uncaring or crass in what we say, but we're to be uncompromising on the truth of God's Word. I believe this is what a preacher should be. I believe a preacher is nothing more than an echo of God. He gets along with God, gets a message of God, and then he's responsible for delivering that message. I can't convince you of anything, but I'm responsible to tell you the truth. And then God's Holy Spirit takes the truth and freights that message home to your heart. And the pulpit is the place where the truth, the unvarnished truth, has to be proclaimed. And we don't need to tickle the ears of the moral compromisers in our congregation and out of fear dilute the Word of God in order to feel that we're popular and liked by everybody. I hope your pastor's not liked by everybody in Daytona Beach. Because there's some folks in Daytona Beach ought to say, well, I, I don't know if I like him or not. He, he just says it like it is. There ought to be some folks that react to truth because there's some folks that can't abide the truth. Notice here how he does this. I think this is an amazing understanding. Verse 3, how did he reason with them? The Bible says, by opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. Opening and alleging. The word opening is the word diaphono. It comes from the word, you see it in the base, diagnostic. Diagnostic. When you go to the doctor and you say, doctor, I have a pain right here and he gives you a diagnosis, what does he do? He explains fully what's going on. He completely reveals to you what your state of health is. And he tells you what the end result of that's going to be. That's a diagnosis. Here, the Apostle Paul opened the Word of God. And when he did, he, he fully disclosed the Word of God. That's why I think the great preachers are great teachers. They fully disclose the Word of God. They take God's Word and they tell you what it's saying. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. And they take the Word of God and make it to where you can hear it and understand it so that you can apply it to your life. Opening and alleging. Now the word alleging is the word parathema. And para means alongside. Thema means uh, to, to translate, to, to place in its proper place. So what does he do? He takes the Word of God and fully discloses it. Fully discloses it. 
And then he takes the word of God and lays it alongside what they already know out of their rabbinical teaching. Let me put it in modern day parlance. A, a preacher today takes God's word and lays it alongside you and your life so that you can see what God ex- is expecting out of your life. And the Holy Spirit then takes that and makes it personal to you. I have preached before where people would come up to me and say, Brother Owens, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And I've had other people come up to me and say, Brother Owens, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And I've heard other people come up to me and say, Brother Owens, that's exactly what I needed to hear. But the thing that's interesting is all three will tell you what it meant to them was different than the other two. I'm not smart enough to do that. I just preach truth. God's Spirit then takes the truth and hits you with it where you are. I don't know that. I couldn't do that. But bless God, he does it. Time after time after time. Opening and alleging. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs suffer. Let me translate. What was Paul saying? The apostle Paul broke proof of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs to suffer and rise again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach, Paul said, is Christ. The one who's going to take away the sin of the world. He is the Messiah. He's Christos. Ladies and gentlemen, what in the world is that? What is verse 3? It's the gospel. He preached the gospel. He preached hell, hot, heaven, sweet, sin, black, judgment, sure, and Jesus saves. That's the gospel. And I'm telling you, any preacher who deviates from the gospel is just wasting time. Now, there's times you have to talk about some of the things that accompany our salvation. Absolutely. Our sanctification. That's very important. When I left Shreveport years ago to go to Atlanta, Georgia to be on staff with Dr. Nelson Price, I did a service every Sunday in a nursing home. That was a nice nursing home. They had a chapel, and there was an elderly man there and his wife. He was a retired preacher. They were both in their 90s. And they were just as sweet as could be. And she was my amener. Brother, I mean, I stood up and she said amen. I mean, I didn't have to even say anything. And I just loved her to death. Godly, godly people. I got ready to leave my last Sunday there. And he, he said, come here. Come over here. Bend down here. Yes, sir. He said, run to the cross. Every message, run to the cross. Young man, run to the cross. I've never forgotten that. So whatever message you preach, you have to go back to the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, and that's what the preaching is all about. Don't stand up and hold up your Bible and say, the Bible says this and never refer to it again. And don't tell me you're a preacher if you don't preach Jesus Christ and him resurrected. You're just wasting our time. I can go to a psychologist and learn more from some preachers. I can go to an educator and learn more from some preachers. But I tell you, the best message a preacher can bring is a message of hope 
from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what a preacher does. And that's what a preacher is supposed to do in my humble but correct opinion. His motive, his manner, his message. But I want you to notice his mission. You should understand a sword has a point and a sermon has an appeal. Every sword has a point and every sermon should have an appeal. A preacher ought to preach for a verdict. I'm not a lawyer. But by golly, every Sunday I ought to put a case out. And you're the jury. And there ought to be a verdict. Every sermon ought to be pointed toward a verdict. Toward a decision. People say, well, Brother Owens, I didn't come to church to make a decision. I just came to church to be entertained. Well, you made a decision. You're going to be entertained. Church is not a place for entertainment. A church is a place for you to be enthusiastic. In theos, in what God is doing. And worship and praise is not something pointed at you, but it's something pointed at Him. That's why when you raise your hands, you're not raising your hands at yourself. You're raising your hands to Him. You're praising Him. You're worshiping Him. That's what church ought to be about. And every preacher should do the same. He should preach for a verdict. Thank God for preachers who deliver a message and have an appeal for belief in Jesus Christ. Some years ago, I was asked to preach in a church in, uh, well, it was a suburb of Jacksonville. And uh, I was there because a friend of mine was a member of the church. And I didn't know the pastor or the church. The church was a little bit different. It was a little different type of church. But they invited me to come, and I was honored to go. So I preached that morning, and as I got to the invitation, I started the invitation. And the preacher was sitting down front, and he was going, Well, I didn't know what this meant. <laughs> but I was smart enough to say, this is his church. I'm not the pastor. And so I said, let me turn the service over to the pastor and, uh, for the conclusion of the service. So I just kind of, well, he got up. I don't even think he had prayer, just dismissed. So we're standing there, and he walked by me. He said, can I see you for lunch? And the way he said it, I thought, whoa, boy, I've messed up or done something. And it really bothered me. But anyway, <laughs> I said, sure, sure, we'll be happy to go to lunch with you. I thought, boy, he's going to rain on my parade. He's going to tell me I don't know what I hear about. You know, I, that was kind of, well, we're sitting at lunch. And he said, well, Owens, he said, thank you for the message this morning. I thought, well, Okay. He said, can I ask you a question? You're in a lot of churches. Our church is not growing. Can you give me some help as to how the church could grow? Now, this is before I became as suave and debonair as I am today. <laughs> I said, friend, let me ask you a question. How do you join your church? It was like I hit him between the eyes. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm just a visitor, but I was there today, and I have not the foggiest idea how to join your church. I said, how do people join your church? He said, well, that's the problem. We don't have any. I said, why don't you ask them? Why don't you give an invitation? I said, my soul, the music was good. The message, hopefully, was decent. People were 
talking with one another, and I said, we had prayer, and what more perfect place for people to encounter God? You, mm. He he looked at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Just like, I said, give your people an opportunity to respond to what God's saying to them. If nothing else, just come forward and kneel. He said, well, we're not big on coming forward. I said, I guess not. I said, but give them an opportunity to express. Let there be some catharsis in them responding to to what they felt and heard. And I said, I believe if you do that, you'll have some folks that will want to talk to you. And there'll be some folks who want to join your church. And you'll have an opportunity to share the gospel with some people. But you've got to give them an opportunity. Paul preached for a verdict. When he preached, he, he had the point at the end that something needs to be done after this. Now, folks, I've been around long enough to know not everybody's going to be happy with this kind of preaching. You see, the purpose of preaching is to win lost people to faith in Christ. And the purpose of preaching is for saved people to be encouraged to be the Christian God wants them to be. But just like in the story that we have this morning, there are folks that don't like it. The Bible says... And the Jews which believe not move with envy, jealousy, spite, indignation. And they took upon them certain lewd fellows of base sort. One of the commentaries that I love said these are bums. That speaks to me. Bums. These are paid protesters that show up to protest anything that they don't like, and that they're paid for. Folks, we still got bums like this today. People that have no regard for what's right or wrong, just show me the money. And if it's against the church or against any institution that stands for something, they're going to be against it. These lewd fellows of base sword. And they gathered a company and set the city in a tumult and assaulted the house of Jason. We find out Jason, Paul and Silas had been staying with Jason. He had let them stay in his home. And so what are they doing? They're going after Paul and Silas, and they know he's at Jason's house. So they go to Jason, drag Jason out, going to arrest him, and whoever was accomplished to this. But Paul and Silas are no longer there. If you turn the page and read over there, some of his friends have taken him to Berea. That's 50 miles. 50 miles three weeks they've already gone 100 miles now overnight they go 50 miles to get them out of danger I was talking to somebody the other day I don't even think they're here this morning I probably couldn't say this if they were here yes I could yes I could I could say this if they were here because it's just true I said are you excited about the new church well I don't think so brother Owens I'm going to have to drive another two miles You'd be so proud of me. I just turned around and walked off. Deliver me, friend. Lord says, listen, I noticed you didn't serve me very much in those last few years of your life. Uh, What was the reason? Well, it was 
They moved the church and I had to drive another two miles. Try that in glory. Let me advise you, don't try that in glory. It's amazing what we talk about commitment today. It's amazing what some of these went through. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to heaven with no scars. You stand there with Paul and talk about what he went through, and I had to drive another two miles, and they started this early service. I had to get up at 7 o'clock on Sunday. Give me a holy break. Paul took his message, but it was more than a message. He had a mission. And the mission ended up going to wherever he needed to go with it, knowing some were not going to be happy. I close with this, verse 7. The Jews said, this man is going contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. That was, that was the problem with Paul and Silas. They were saying that Jesus Christ was king. A lot of controversy about that. Did Jesus ever say that he was who he said he was? Yes, he did. If you look in John chapter 18, he's before Pilate. Now, the King James Version, I think, does us a, a little bit of a disservice. This is where you need to get some extemporaneous reading and some material to get behind the verse. But Pilate said to him in verse 37, Art thou a king then? King James says, Jesus answered and said, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. But in the language of the Bible, now listen to your interim pastor. The affirmation here is the strongest language you can use in the Greek language. It reads this way. Yes, I am king. And to this reason I came into this world. For this reason. Yes, I am king. Folks, you don't have to back up, let up, or shut up. Jesus Christ is king of kings and Lord of lords. And that was his mission. Paul's mission was to give the word out. Jesus Christ is king. And if you read over there in the last part of that, verse 12, the Bible says, and many believed. A lot of folks today are talking about church growth. And there's a sense in which that's very important. I'm not in any way knocking that. But let me tell you how to grow a church. Proclaim Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Preach the Bible unequivocal. Preach the Bible all the way. Preach out of the Bible and reason and opening and alleging who Jesus Christ is. And God's Spirit will grow His church. It's, it's that simple. It's that simple. You have a new preacher coming. I believe he's cut out of this same cloth. I believe that. It's going to be amazing to watch. It's going to be amazing to watch. The next two weeks, you have a chance to pray, and then the 28th, you have a chance to to meet. 
prior to that Sunday chance at several meetings, you'll be given information on that to meet them, meet their family, get to know them a little bit before you pray and before you vote. But I'm just telling you, we need a preacher in the pulpit of this church. And I believe the committee has done a marvelous job of bringing to you a candidate to be that person. Amen? Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for Paul. Thank you for this amazing chapter. We didn't even touch the rest of it, but here we, we get a sense of what it means to be a preacher, to reason with people, start where they are and take them to where you want them to go, to, to, to converse with them and show from the Word of God, which you're honor-bound to bless who Christ is. And when we're faithful to do that, you're faithful by your Spirit to reveal to people. That's how all of us came to know God, through Christ. So, Lord, thank you for this church and for the process that we're in. I pray for the prospective pastor and his family as they make their plans to come. I pray that you'd bless him, bless our church. And I pray there will be a marvelous marriage, a marvelous union of pastor and people in the coming days. This morning, if there's somebody here who's never trusted Jesus Christ, I pray today would be the day. And maybe those who have trusted Christ but haven't been living up to what they should be. What a wonderful time at the start of a year to make a, not a New Year's resolution, but to make a, a commitment to you. So as we sing our invitation hymn, may people feel the freedom to respond as your spirit would lead. Because I've asked this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our invitation hymn. Staff will be here. The altar is always open.